African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Uh, thank you for joining us for a new week of African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us on our now limited platforms. We are on www.channelafrica.co.za and we're also on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Uh, that is DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Well, today we're going to be dissecting the results of the elections in South Africa. We're going to be joined by Professor Sherelle Africa, who is an analyst joining us from the University of the Western Cape's uh, Politics Department. And also Grant Masterson joins us once again. I think it's great having him here on our program this time because we started dissecting some of uh, uh, the campaigning seasons with him. He's a program manager of the African Peer Review Mechanism at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy. Africa. But before we do that, I'd like just for us to get an understanding of the results, especially for those who are listening to us outside of South Africa. Uh, The South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has already said that democracy has emerged victorious with the IEC declaring the 2019 elections free and fair. The electoral body has released the results of the country's sixth general elections and this has happened within seven days, which is unprecedented sometimes on the African continent, which is something that we can actually celebrate as uh, South Africans. Uh, The commission declared the ANC the overall winner uh, with 230 seats in the National Assembly, followed by the Democratic Alliance and the Economic Freedom Fighters with uh, 84 and 44 seats respectively. Let's quickly listen to this report by Ndebo Mokobo. South Africa is one of the youngest democracies in the continent, but it continues to become a beacon of hope with successive elections every five years. The country has just concluded yet another elections, which were also declared free and fair by the continental body, the African Union. The Independent Electoral Commission, the IEC, has thanked all those who made it possible and implored the prospective public representatives to serve the people diligently, as Chairperson Glenn Machinin explains. Despite the record number of 48 political parties contesting in this year national elections and provincial elections, in the national election voters will have 14 parties representing them. We congratulate all the parties and contestants and we call on all the candidates who will soon take their oath of office to serve the people of South Africa with pride, with integrity, and with accountability for that is what our constitution calls for and our people deserve. And for his part, President Cyril Ramaphosa said he was humbled by the eagerness of ordinary men and women who voted for the government of their choice. Having observed millions of our people across the length and the breadth of our country, casting their votes patiently, enthusiastically and peacefully three days ago, 
It gives us the assurance that our people are indeed the true custodians of our freedom and democracy. Many of our people braved the rain, the cold, to cast the ballots that will determine the future of our country. Many of them crossed rivers and climbed mountains and hills to go and cast their votes. And in doing so, they reaffirmed the vibrancy of our democracy in an environment of diverse opinions. Although some 27 political parties raised concerns following allegations of double voting in some parts of the country, the Commission has managed to resolve and avert any protest or attempts to put the credibility of the electoral process into question. Well, that report there was by Ndebo Mukobo. They're looking at uh, the results uh, that uh, came out uh, this past weekend. And uh, just to analyze uh, the figures and look at the numbers and try to make sense of what has happened in uh, this year's elections, we joined on the line by Professor Sherelle Africa, who is joining us from uh, the politics uh, department uh, at the University of the Western Cape. I also have uh, on... uh, the line uh, professor sean Gosso, who is an associate professor at the graduate school of business at the university of cape town thank you once again for also joining us uh, associate professor that's sean Gosso, and we also have grant masterson who is a program manager at the african peer review mechanism at the electoral institute for sustainable democracy of africa let me start with you professor cheryl africa thank you for giving us your time hi morning now, let's look at this particular win for the ANC. I know that there's a lot of people who have been emphasizing the fact that they've lost the greatest number of seats as a result of this year. However, the ruling party enjoys a hefty 57% majority when it comes to the National Assembly. I'm looking at the total number here with a total of 10 million votes or more, more actually, but I'm just rounding up that particular figure. Uh, Prof, uh, Dr. Cheryl Africa, in terms of that particular issue of um, this particular result, if we don't really focus on the losses, what actually makes the African National Congress still a formidable force despite the years that we've seen of state capture and issues around corruption and also the fact that uh, even a few years ago we saw them not doing that great in uh, the local elections? Well, they ran a very targeted campaign. Um, also, I think people might look at um, the possibility of what a coalition could mean at a national level. Um, and certainly if we look at coalitions at local um, and previously at provincial level, um, there's a measure of instability that is introduced through a coalition. Um, at Local and provincial, one can still contain that, you know, the instability. But at national level, I think there's many voters that would have considered what are the implications of a coalition at national level. Um, Then, of course, we've heard the debate, you know, lots of debate around um, President Cyril Ramaphosa, um, his renewal campaign, um, taking the party in a new direction, etc., So I think that would have weighed on the minds of voters. Um, It would have been quite a complex voting decision for them. But in the end, they would settle on a choice. What I can say also, though, is that I don't think the ANC would be taking votes for granted um, in upcoming elections, particularly if you look at Gauteng 
and caved it in. Um, but I think the same goes for other political parties as well, who would not be able to take votes for granted in upcoming elections. Mm, very interesting. Uh, let me come to you, Professor Sean Gossel. What do you make of uh, this uh, retaining of power of the African National Congress? What do you think were the dynamics that uh, influenced uh, this uh, majority vote despite the decline in some of the seats? What are the factors that you've noticed or you can actually expound upon in terms of this regard? I think ANC actually did very well if you considered the low vote turnout. Um, most of the polls that we've seen being bandied around before the election, the actual outcome for the ANC swung wildly depending on turnout and to my knowledge none of them would predict such a high ANC turnout for such a low um, um, voter turnout, which does indicate that although I'm a, I'm a Ramaphoria skeptic and I'm happy to say so, um, it does indicate that Ramaphosa did have a significant draw card for voters back to the ANC um, both at the expense of other opposition parties, um, even to the extent of the EFF. While the EFF has doubled in size, the actual difference between the provincial vote and the national vote is quite disparate. And uh, quite a, a large extent of this was that people felt secure that Ramaphosa potentially could offer some kind of change to what we've seen, um, but conditional, and I think that I think the ANC are much more aware that the power that they've received for the next five years is conditional, and they have to deliver. And if they don't deliver, because they're so on the cusp at the moment, it wouldn't take very much with a, a coalition of opposition parties to dislodge the ANC in the future. So it cannot be taken for granted, as the ANC has been able to do over the last um, two decades, that they will govern uh, in the words of Jacob Zuma until Jesus comes. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll talk about that because I think also this decline also questions that notion of that the NC will be in power until Jesus comes, Professor. Uh, let me come to you, Grant. How do you assess the situation, especially looking at uh, uh, this the, the ANC, just for a while, just not really looking at the decline, but looking at the fact of how they stayed in power? The same question that I raised to Dr. Cheryl Africa and uh, Professor Sean Gossel, Grant. Look, I think I concur with uh, what Cheryl was saying that, um, you know, the ANC ran a very positive national campaign and clearly that worked. Uh, I'd, I'd like to look then at the, the parties that were trying to uh, reduce that uh, voter share, you know, the opposition parties. And I think that uh, for me the, the takeaway from these elections is that the local government elections in, in 2016 suggested uh, that the voters were quite prepared to take votes away from the ANC. But what we're seeing here is that, you know, at the local government level, when we're talking about meat and potatoes, service delivery issues, then voters are very, very prepared to choose whoever they believe will uh, serve the local interest best. But that at the national level, the vast majority of voters, you know, 57%, are still showing faith in the ANC to lead the country at a national policy level. So, you know, the, 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 there's been a delinking, I think, between... Uh, local government election results and national government uh, results. Uh, and I think that that's probably going to be one of the things that the ANC is going to have to start thinking about already, sure. is that they've got local government elections coming up in three years, and those are going to be very, very tough. If the fallout continues, uh, sorry, the, the turnout continues to fall, uh, then, then I think it's going to get tougher for all of the parties, because I think that's the other big story here, is that we really, we had nearly 11 million people who could have voted in this country who did not vote in these elections. And that is also obviously something to look at.
That's a very interesting point there. And I'd like you, Prof, uh, Dr. Cheryl, um, to speak on that because I think it's a very important issue, the fact that there were differences in terms of how people voted in line in terms of uh, where they took their national vote and also where they took their provincial vote. Well, the ANC still remains intact in terms as uh, a force in most uh, provinces. I mean, it gained all the provinces in uh, except the, the Western Cape. But you see very interesting outcomes in terms of the opposition numbers in these various uh, provinces. You see a growth of the EFF in most of these provinces. And also you see some form of uh, uh, kind of a stability or there is a decline for the Democratic Alliance to a certain degree in some uh, provinces. Provinces, but definitely you're seeing a growth of opposition uh, politics or people starting to realign themselves with opposition politics in terms of their vote. Yes, certainly. And the other one that we didn't mention is KwaZulu-Natal, because in KwaZulu-Natal, sure. the margin that was won was also not that great. Yeah, in terms of the differences between the ANC and the IFP. Yes, so the ANC won by um, 54 0.22% in KZN. So that's, that's a victory of only four percentage points. Um, and, you know, we focused quite a bit on the Western Cape and Gauteng because it was really very tight in Gauteng. Um, it kept us actually quite at the edge of our seats. So certainly in those three provinces, um, opposition dynamics really come into the fore. Just can I comment on the turnout issue as well? Yeah, yeah, you can go ahead. So, um, I mean, we've seen turnout down, um, down to 66%, but that's as a proportion of um, people who are registered. But actually, if we take it as, as mentioned previously by the uh, other colleague, um, if we take it as a proportion of eligible voters, it's actually down even further. Um, and there, there's an interesting dynamic around the electorate growing as younger voters come into the electorate, but they're not registering at that same rate. So we've got a growing electorate, and then we've got this growing disillusionment. So um, you know the mention that 11 million people um, who could have voted didn't vote. Um, That's also something for us to think about, and I think there's also a generational issue there where older generations value the vote differently um, to younger generations. So that really is something that we're going to have to look at, as well as, um, you know, in the clip at the beginning, the mention of the IEC and the challenge by the smaller parties parties to the IEC, that's something that we have to look at. Mm. And what what are your thoughts there, Professor Sean Gosler, especially when it comes to the issue of opposition politics, because I think it's something that Grant has brought into the conversation that's important in terms of the fact that we're seeing a dominance of opposition politics, especially when it comes to that provincial vote. I think for me the, the, the most interesting part about the opposition parties in this election has been the dismal showing of the DA. Um, which is not not too surprising because for much of the much of the last few years they've pretty much taken it for granted that if anybody was disillusioned with the ANC they would automatically migrate to the DA um, and they've done especially over this last election cycle a dismal job of portraying themselves as being able to govern on a macro scale as opposed to just provincial um, much of the election campaign has been very shotgun. Um, and very isolationist and uh, in terms of provincial rather than national. 
Um, and so I think the DA have, have very much to go back to the, to the drawing board and consider what went wrong and how to rebuild themselves into what they claim to be the non-racial um, party. However, much of the discord that we've seen among voters is very much along the lines that they've followed the other parties in becoming either personality-based or very small policy-based um, along racial lines. And it's quite apparent from the voting numbers that they've made significant errors in that regard and, over and um, um, essentially gambled and lost on that regard. Mm. And, the, and that also brings me to the EFF and the um, Freedom Front Plus, which are also very sure. interesting dynamics. Yeah. Um, and despite what the DA claimed, it is apparent that quite a few of their voters have migrated away both to the Freedom Front Plus, but then also migrated back to the ANC as well. Um, the um, EFF down the line, although they, they now are in the opposition benches in three provinces, they still face the same problem of being a young party and that it's very easy to fight an election on rhetoric and noise. Mm. It's much harder to govern when you have to have policies. And in that regard, if one looks at the, the uh, manifesto of the EFF, it's not workable as policy. So it will be interesting to see how, if they want to survive and, and grow to the extent that they claim that they do, how do they migrate away mm. from effectively being um, uh, lobbyists mm. to being policy um, implementers and policy makers, sure. which is far more difficult. So I think the EFF um, have a very difficult road ahead in that transition, but the DA, I think, have a fundamental ideological problem. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be back. And I'll put that particular point you're making there. Uh, that is the viewpoint that we're hearing from Associate Professor Sean Gossel, who is joining us uh, from uh, the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town. We also have Grant Masterson, who is the Program Manager at the African Peer Review Mechanism uh, Department at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy of Africa. We also have Dr. Cheryl Africa. I have to also uh, apologize uh, to the doctor. I started introing her as a professor, but I apologize for that. She is an analyst joining us from the University of the Western Cape's Politics Department. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll continue to dissect some of those points that are coming through there. I want to also expound on that viewpoint that was highlighted by Professor Sean Gossel in terms of the uh, emergence of the EFF, and also we've seen the Freedom Front Plus vote uh, showing very interesting um, uh, directions in uh, uh, the voting this year. So we'll look at that after this. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1,000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1,000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Don't 
Misa, the 3rd Annual Africa Shared Value Summit, taking place from the 23rd to the 24th of May 2019 in Nairobi, Kenya. Thought leaders and business changemakers from across Africa will share insights and case studies showing how shared value can transform your business and create the Africa we want. Book your ticket at africasharedvaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will broadcast live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcast on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or tune in to DSTV Channel 802 to be part of the conversation. Channel Africa, African Perspective. Indeed, you are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on DSTV channel on 802. That's the channel number. That's channel 802 on the audio bouquet on DSTV. Remember, you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Today, we are dissecting uh, the election results. Tomorrow, we'll go on the issue that was highlighted by Professor by Dr. Cheryl Africa. I'm still going to my paper here that says Professor Cheryl Africa. It's actually Dr. Cheryl Africa. Uh, she was highlighting the, the fact that uh, we've seen a uh, very low uh, voter turnout. We'll be dissecting that tomorrow as well, trying to find really what could be the reasons because I think that's a, a very important issue in terms of looking at it in isolation. But staying with you, Dr. Shower Africa, is the issue of the EFF that was brought forward by Professor um, Sean Gossel there before I go to Grant. I'm interested in looking at these numbers because you do see that provincial strength in in, in in, in, in their results. I mean, when it comes to Gauteng, they've got 14.69% of the vote in Gauteng. And uh, you're also seeing them emerge. I was surprised with also the 4% that we saw in uh, Western Cape. That was a surprise to me. It might seem like a small number, but it was also interesting. In the Northwest, they are the main opposition uh, party with uh, 18.64%. So they are growing slowly and surely. I mean, in Bumalang, they are also in the top two, so they're just behind uh, uh, the ANC with 12.79%. They did better than the Democratic Alliance, which has 9.77%. What are your thoughts around the EFF's growth in, re- in this regard? <clears throat> so you are correct. It is associate professor, not doctor. Um, so you are correct. Okay, all right. So I was just trying to make that up because <laughs> online I saw various... Uh, um, yeah, they don't necessarily update. <laughs> okay, sure. It's Fine. Um, I think, you know, with regard to the EFF, um, it's correctly been pointed out that they would begin to face challenges of growth. Um, In fact, they could even have done better because my perspective is that, um, you know, whereas the ANC and the DA were having to manage, um, if I can call it, conflicting imperatives being pulled in different directions, they had a campaign um, and they, a campaign that speaks to the issues um, it resonates with people. But of course, it's not only what is said, it's also how it's said. And what we've seen is quite a conflictual, confrontational mode of engagement. So as I say, that, that would be the how. Um, and it's not only in engagements with journalists or engagement on the campaign trail, its engagement um, in Parliament as well. 
Um, and so there could be potentially voters who look at um, the issues that they raise that say, yes, um, I'm inclined to agree with uh, the perspective on that, but they're a bit nervous as to how it's raised. Um, the other aspect is that they are quite strong in terms of the links with tertiary institutions. Um, and so they've got people that's prepared to go out on the ground. We've seen um, organizationally, fairly strong organizational structures. So that speaks to the growth at provincial level. But it comes back to the point made earlier about the national versus the provincial. So people might um, look at the party, and as I say, the mode of engagement is very important, and say, well, we're not prepared to give you um, our vote yet at national level. Uh, Western Cape, um, Western Cape is a completely different province um, in many respects, and I think um, there's still. I don't want to use the word conservative, um, but yeah, the options for growth is fairly limited in the Western Cape. Okay, let me come to you, Grant. Your thoughts of the EFF. Are we not being too critical for a young party? Don't you think that they're doing relatively well, especially in light of their very uh, left politics that they uh, use as their agenda-setting kind of momentous uh, um, propeller? Look, I think there's there's two expectations. There's the expectations that may have been created amongst EFF supporters when they were listening to their leaders, and then there would be the expectations that the leaders themselves had. I'm uh, I'm fairly confident that uh, when the EFF leadership sits down and looks at their performance here, they will be very very satisfied. They've grown in Parliament, and and you know when you consider how effective EFF was at. Uh, drawing attention to themselves, drawing attention to their positions, to their personalities within the party, and really using Parliament as a a, a sort of a national springboard for their ideas. Um, You know, they had 6% in the last Parliament. They're going to have more than 10% now. Uh, So they're going to have more speaking time. They're going to have more members there. Uh, And and certainly I think that the EFF leadership would be very, very quietly satisfied with with the growth that they've seen. And, of course, now they get to be in opposition in a couple of provinces as well. So that's also going to be further opportunity for them. Uh, of course, their supporters may have um, uh, bought into some of the, the, the wild statements that they were coming back as the, the ruling party, etc. And, of course, if you judge them by those standards, then obviously there will be some disappointed supporters. Uh, but, but I think the EFF overall will be happy with, um, with the results of their campaign. I think looking at the opposition party that lost the most momentum and there's been a lot of uh, uh, people trying to figure out why they lost that momentum is the Democratic Alliance, especially both on uh, the provincial seats and also when it looks when you look clearly at what's happening in terms of uh, uh, provinces staying with you, Grant. Why do you think that was the case? Because this was something that uh, Professor Gossel was highlighting as well earlier on. So for me, I think that the, the, the statement made by Professor was, was correct, that um, there, there was a, a lack of proper and clear messaging. You know, for a long time, the, the DA has enjoyed the same sort of privilege that the EFS presently enjoys. It was an opposition party, and that it, it could score points by simply highlighting the flaws in the, in the ruling party, the ANC's uh, sort of proposals, its policies, and, and offering an alternative that way. But that's not going to persuade voters 
to, to actually trust it now, to actually govern at the national level. Uh, and even if you look at the local government elections, you saw that uh, you know, people were prepared to give the, the DA a chance at the metro level in some cases, but certainly not yet at the national level. So I think that's one issue. The other issue is that the DA had a very, very tough time of it in this uh, electoral period because they were under um, sort of attack on many sides. There were, there were many other parties that were trying to uh, draw some of their fringe voters away. Uh, and that's already been alluded to. The, the, the um, rise of Sir Ramaphosa within the ANC has certainly nibbled back some of the, the, the voters who were, you know, perhaps had strayed from the ANC and were given the DA a chance. So certainly some of those have gone back. And then, of course, the Freedom Front Plus opened up a new front, um, which the DA has to now defend in future elections as well. So really, on all sides, there are a number of parties who were, who were vying for the DA's uh, voter base. Uh, and I think overall that's mm. probably the, the major contributors to why their performance has dipped a bit. Professor Kossel, let me come to you. Let's not forget uh, the number four and, I mean, the number five, uh, I mean, the four and five spot, rather, which is the IFP and the Freedom Front Plus that Grant has been highlighting there. That is, uh, some people are saying that has taken some of the vote from the Democratic Alliance. Your thoughts of how and why the IFP and the Freedom Front Plus did well? Is it because of the Zuma factor in, or the, the Zulu Alliance that we're no longer seeing as a, as a kind of uh, a forefront of the African National Congress? Because a lot of people don't understand that even within the African National Congress for a while during uh, Zuma's term, it, it did kind of had that uh, Zulufication uh, texture to it in terms of how it was. It was seen as the the party of the Zulu leader. I think that's part of the the um, answer, but it also plays to the complexity of South Africa's society, particularly over the last decade. Where, if you look at uh, at the election itself, the the centre left of the ANC and the centre right of the DA almost kind of held. They both, you know, they lost some um, power. They uh, lost some power during the election, but it pretty much held. Whereas, if you look at the the surrounding the opposition fringes. You essentially have the EFF, which is taking up the, the space then. I wouldn't say the EFF is purely um, um, strongly left or strongly right. They have aspects of both. But they do seem to be taking up the voice for the, the marginalized and disenfranchised, particularly among the uh, black urban poor. The, in the case of the um, Freedom Front and uh, in Carter, those are essentially back to um, essentially nationalist-style voices where the Freedom Front Plus are mainly around groupings of minorities, and then, of course, in Carter, back to mainly Zulu, um, Zulu predominantly Zulu culture. And I do think the, the decline of the, uh, the Zuma faction in the ANC is playing to that, where people are migrating back um, to in Carter um, as that dissolves. So, but I, what, what I do think is interesting that's about this election is that people, despite the rhetoric before the election, um, around racial politics and traditional cultural politics that hadn't come through very strongly in this election. And once again, it's been fought um, by the voters themselves. The choices they've made have been on bread and butter rather than on, on social cultural issues, um, despite what the rhetoric of the politicians might have been before the election.
Well, another interesting dynamic to that, to coming to you, um, uh, Professor Africa, is the issue of the smaller Nyana parties, as we call them in South Africa. I mean, what was interesting is to see the emergence of the ATM and the Good Party. They both have the same seats as the UDM that has been there since uh, post-1994 in in this particular country. So it's very interesting to see that they have the same seats as as a a party that has been around the block for a very long time. These uh, parties that have just emerged and come onto the scene. Yeah. No, that's true. And I think, um, you know, we heard that there's more parties and so we squirrel for choice. But I don't think voters necessarily felt that the options were better. And I think, um, you know, the small parties, particularly what I would call the peripheral parties, mm. had unrealistic expectations of their performance. Um, you know, the more established smaller parties, those that have some kind of representation in the National Assembly, they are able to maintain visibility. Um, so in the case of Good, uh, they were a new party, but the leader had um, a track record of sorts and visibility. Um, the other aspect, so you need a, a recognizable leader, but you also need a credible leader. There needs to be some kind of policy platform, and they also need to be able to engage with voters. So it's very difficult um, for the smaller parties. The other part to say about the smaller parties is that I think they did themselves absolutely no favors by sparring with the IEC, because certainly I think voters observe what's happening and they make these complex choices and they made the choice um, to not vote for small parties um, and for small parties to play a poor game, so to speak, and then blame the referee um, simply would add to the negative perceptions that um, voters have of them. And that's another discussion as well also Mm. um, about Telling, um the view of, of the IEC. So certainly there were problems mm. over there, but that's something that we need to unpack at a later point. Grant, your, your final sentiments. I mean, how do you think these elections change the political spectrum? How do you think these elections also could change the agenda setting for the next four years? Look, I think that um, from, from a South African citizen perspective, I think this has been a great election. Um, some of the sentiments ex- already expressed by the other speakers has been that you know, the, the voters have rejected extremism, they've ex- rejected forms of, of racial politics and rhetoric for the most part. Um, and so I think that, you know, uh, political parties across the spectrum are going to have to take voters a lot more seriously in future elections, and that's always a good thing for a democracy. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, though, I, I, I do think that what we saw with, with these very, very silly incidents of double voting, which really seems to be without any degree of coordination, it was just individuals, that's what it looks like at this stage, individuals going to vote uh, twice just because they could, showed that our, our voters have also got to smarten up because, it, I mean, what, what, what they were doing there was really, it was, it was nonsensical, it gained the individual voter almost nothing, and it really has, has uh, you know, both cast a shadow over the elections as a whole, but it's also, you know, they, they now have to face criminal charges for these kind of things. So at the same time as I'm giving our voters credit for, for rejecting uh, sort of extremism and, and racism, I think at the same time there's also a lot that needs to be done in terms of civic education with voters as well. Mm. Professor Gossel, your final sentiments in terms of uh, the 
how this will actually create a, a new form of politics coming up. I don't know if the land issue will remain in, in this regard. It seems it's going to be a little bit too played out in, in the next four years. And uh, as you highlighted, the AF, EFF has to start rethinking their opposition politics. The Democratic Alliance is also at a place where now they also have to start rethinking their messaging uh, style. I think so. I think the parties have a lot of work to do before the next election, and the ANC have to deliver on their promises. Um, I don't think the voters will be as kind in the next election if they continue in the same vein as they have up to this point. The DA have to take the, the voter patterns um, in terms of the votes lost, and they also have to take into account what the vote message has been telling them about the way that they've been running their campaigns and their messaging and their, and, um, their strategies, which have worked abysmally. The EFF have to move towards maturity, but I think overall, I think South Africa is in a much better space now because the voters have basically given a very clear indication to the political parties that they're not happy with the way that, pol- that politics has been conducted in this country. Um, and hopefully, if the political parties can mature in the same space as the, um, our voters are maturing, then more and more people will get over the apathy mm-hmm. and put, potentially start partaking in our democracy because we can't carry on in a situation where we have such a large and disproportionate number of people that aren't um, being included in our democratic um, processes. That's very dangerous. And that, I think, is something that politicians need to look at and it has to start being reversed. Well, thank you all for giving us your time. Thank you to Professor Sean Gossel there, who's an associate professor at the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town. Thank you to Professor Cheryl Africa, uh, who's also on uh, uh, the line with us. Uh, She was both a doctor and a professor this hour. Uh, She's from the University of the Western Cape at uh, the Politics Department. And I also want to just apologize once again for confusing using those titles uh, and thank you to Grant Masterson the program manager at the African Peer Review Mechanism he is at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy Africa thank you all for your time we really appreciate you giving us your um, analysis in terms of contextualizing these results thank you